Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 276th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own healthy food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is an education resource for the food revolution. We're talking to Andy Schneider about chicken whispering. Better known as the chicken whisperer, Andy has become the go-to guy for any chicken-related questions. He has helped countless people start their own backyard flocks and has assisted in changing more laws around the country to allow backyard chickens than anyone else. He is a well-known radio personality as the host of the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer radio show, as well as the editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. The national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Biosecurity for Birds program, We'll have to ask him about that. And author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens. Andy travels around the U.S. educating people through science-based, fact-based, and study-based information about the many benefits of keeping backyard chickens and how to ensure that they stay healthy and free from disease. Welcome to the show today, Andy. Thank you very much for having me, Greg. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. It's it's really the only way to describe it, for me anyway, is the American dream. Oh, nice. And, and it really is. When I tell my story, that's the first thing that comes out of people's mouths. That, that's the American dream right there. So at the end of the day, I took a hobby that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. and turned it into a successful business slash brand. And I wouldn't say it was by accident, but it was really almost not planned. And it was kind of planned along the way due to a lot of special circumstances. Tell me. So we kept chickens in an urban area long before it was quote unquote cool, Uh long before kind of the chicken movement started. And so people 
would often come up and we'd tell them hey, we have uh, some backyard chickens and whatnot. We had a lot of things, backyard chickens and goats and garden water collection barrels, the whole nine yards. Nice. And they would be like, oh, you must live on a farm or have lots of land. Uh-huh. We're like, no, we have a quarter. <laughs> we have a quarter acre in a subdivision right now. Yeah, and that's where I'm like, at, oh, by the way. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they're like, are you serious? And we're like, yeah, a- absolutely. In fact, it was over time, uh, we, we even had like the Atlanta Master Gardeners coming out to see how on a quarter acre you could have a couple of goats, a couple of dogs, chickens, a garden, uh-huh. compost bin, all this stuff, and do it responsibly and not, of course, bother your neighbors, right. which is very important. Yeah. It was great. So we, we had this hobby. We kept you know the backyard chickens for a long time. And then when the movement kind of started across the country, People started getting interested, and they thought, hey, Andy's been doing this for a while. I'll just go to him to learn about this or to get started. He'll be able to help me and tell me how to do this because he's been doing it before it was, I guess, cool. Right. And I I just help people because I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hobby, and, and other people were interested. But then one day, a really good friend of mine finally, I guess, jumped off the fence, if you will, and said, I'm doing this. I need some help. And I thought, you know, I've been doing this for a while now. Obviously, there's a lot of people that want to get into this and do this. So let's let's take it to the next level. This was in the Atlanta area. Uh-huh. And so I started an Atlanta club called the Atlanta Backyard Poultry Meetup Group through the, through the meetup right. websites, Model, I guess. Right. And, and, it, and it growed to where I think, I think now it's over 2,200 members, but I have since kind of handed that off to somebody else for their responsibility because it was getting well, – my schedule was getting almost impossible. But Well, well hold on, hold on, way, hold on. 2,200 members in your meetup group for chickens in Atlanta. Just in Atlanta, that is correct. Whoa! And it grew very, very <laughs> It grew very quickly. Yeah. And so what happened – was, I guess, one of the local major news networks. It was a CBS network in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Just searching out, looking for different, odd, and different things up and coming. They found the meetup group. Mm-hmm. And so they contacted me and wanted to do a segment on that. So they had them in my backyard, the whole nine yards. And so this was CBS Local Atlanta. Right. And that aired over, I think, a few days. And then the phone started ringing and I <laughs> got other news media outlets. The next one was maybe New York. They flew down and they did oh, a story wow. on me as well. Uh-huh. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then we continued to working on the group. We continued helping people in the Atlanta area. And then I think the biggest break, if you want to call it that, the most positive one, that uh, helped eventually the Chicken Whisperer brand was um, the major Atlanta newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They came out, spent all afternoon with me in my backyard and did a story. And I, before it came out, the lady who did the story, the reporter, said, it's coming out on Thursday. Pro- and I'm thinking, okay, probably in the metro section, garden <laughs> section, deep, 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 deep in the where, paper. You know? I see where we're going here. Front, <laughs> front. Let me guess. Front page, above the fold. Well, I, it was close. It was front page below the fold, All but right. it was actually the about a quarter of the whole bottom page. page of the front of the paper. Wow. It, it's so funny. I'll, I walk into the grocery store and I'm looking for it. You know, I already started getting emails before uh-huh. I even went to pick up the paper. Yeah. So I knew something was going on and I went and looked and I, and I 
uh, turn the paper over once I just at the stand <laughs> and I see this. It's Atlanta's Chicken Whisperer and front page below the fold. You know, and I just put the paper down and kind of walked away for a minute to kind of consume this yeah. and what it really meant. So I, I started thinking, Greg, this is going to be in every doctor's office, every break room, every uh-huh. business, every yeah. every old change stand, every and, and just that. And then of course the AP picked it up, so she oh impressed and right. that. That right there was probably the biggest push regarding, you know, backyard poultry, the chicken whisper, and kind of creating the brand at that point. Yeah. And then from there, I guess uh, I'm it's gonna really actually, all downhill. I'm, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you here. I got a couple of questions for you. Did sure. they W in that newspaper article, the chicken whisper, or was that something you had picked up? No, I had picked it up at that point. Got it. All right, cool. And give me a timeline. When was before chicken whisper? What year was before chicken whisper? Like you, you weren't keeping chickens, you know, that's like the, the before that. And then after that, what year was that? The chicken whisperer name started to get thrown around around 2008. I Uh, believe it uh, was. When did you start keeping chickens? Probably now I, I bought and purchased my first chickens and turkeys back in 1990. I think it was 1991. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. Good. And so, yeah, so it was a while. And then and then I had them for a while, and then I didn't have them for a while, and mm-hmm. then I got back and went into it. it cl- we're close enough. Think. I just was looking for a kind of a, you know, a timeline. So you've been at this for a long time. And so I have in front of me this absolutely beautiful book. I believe it has a Rhode Island Red on the cover. Is that a Rhode Island Red? I believe that is, yep, yeah. and it's on, on the, sitting on the shovel. Yep, the one sitting on the shovel. The book is called The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens. Everything you need to know and didn't know you needed to know about backyard and urban chickens. Tell us about your book, Andy. Absolutely. I love the book. The issue you have there is the newly revised yep. edition, yep. which just came out in, in July. Mm-hmm. The book actually has been out for several years, and there were some things we wanted to take out, so some more things that we wanted to put in based on, obviously, the movement over the last decade yeah. and things that we thought it was important to add in there. So it, it, it covers so much information. I think it's a great book, and I'm very upfront and honest with folks when I'm on tour that if you've kept chickens less than five years, you'll probably learn a lot out of the book. If Mm -hmm. you've kept chickens over five years, you'll still learn some because I brought in poultry scientist Dr. McRae to really focus Uh, on making sure the material was, in fact, correct, correct advice, correct. Oh, very good. Very, very important. So we really let her run with, obviously, and right up front, chapters that I was nowhere near qualified to write, the medical issues, disease issues, different right. things like that. Uh-huh. There was no way I was going to attempt to write that. So we brought in a, a wonderful poultry scientist. And then, of course, she overviewed the whole book just to make sure even what I was sharing with my experience uh, in the book was correct. So very, very important. We take that very seriously. Yeah. You know, one of the things I loved about reading in your bio, I'm a scientist. I'm not a highly trained scientist, but I've studied science all through grade school, all through high school. And when I went back to college at the age of 39, I was getting a degree in botany science. So one of the things I really appreciate about your bio is you're educating people through science-based, fact-based, study-based information. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So 
you know, for, for the first few years, Chicken Whisperer was about a person, an individual, uh-huh. and it ended up being me. Right. And, and so after, after several years, let's be honest, you can only take that so far. And we saw that Chicken Whisperer, just the name, was starting to really become a brand. Yeah, And we wanted to mold that brand and say, okay, when people think Chicken Whisperer or the Chicken Whisperer, what does that mean to them? What do they think? And we wanted to mold that so when they saw the brand, they would think, ah, okay, this is, again, science-based, fact-based, study-based information Mm -hmm. that I can rely on to keep a healthy flock of chickens in my backyard. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't want to make it anything like, oh, well, this worked for me, so it'll work for you, or, uh, you know, this, any, anything like that, or here, here's a, a home remedy that worked for me, so it'll work for you. We really wanted it, at the end of the day, to be something when they read it, when they researched it or saw it anywhere, whether it be the magazine, the book, the podcast, whatever, yeah. that they knew that they could rely on that as being true information. Cool. And tell me about fact or chicken poop. Because this kind of goes along the same <laughs> lines as that. It does. A couple of years ago, we just started to see the flood of, I guess there's no other way to call it, but, you know, bad and misinformation out there uh, thanks to social media and the yeah. Internet. Yep. And so we, uh, I started a website. It's just factorchickenpoop.com. Uh-huh. And we started <laughs> with that. I, I, would just, I would just search chicken blogs and chicken forums, and, and I would see a statement that someone made as if it was absolutely proven true. Right. And I took that statement, took the statement, and I sent it to uh, an array, many different. I uh, choose one in their specialty based on the, the, the uh, statement. Sent it to a poultry professional, i.e. poultry veterinarian, poultry scientist, poultry nutritionist. And right. I said, here's a statement we found mm-hmm. on this chicken blogger forum. I'd like to know if it's fact or chicken poop. And um, <laughs> so, so it, it took off so well. It was so popular. We were getting hits left and right on, on the website. And maybe a year after that, I said, you know what? This would be an awesome second book. Yeah. And so it'll be coming out in December, Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. And we do the exact same thing. We take a statement. We're a little bit extra in the book, though. On the website, we take a statement, and then they, they explain why it would be fact or chicken poop. In the book, then they offer, in some instances, if it allows itself, to say, okay, well, this really doesn't work, but here's something that has been proven to work for this particular ailment. Uh-huh. So you get a little bonus in the book, uh, a little bit of a oh, extra nice. bonus in education. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So tell me about your Chicken Whisperer brand and, uh, you know, how has that developed and what are you doing with it? It's, it sounds like that's, there's gold there. It's, it's wonderful and it, and it has become a brand. And at the end of the day, I, I kind of like to tell people it's really the Chicken Whisperer brand is a medium where people can come and get information, information overload about keeping backyard poultry. So uh-huh. we have uh, a podcast we do once a week, every Thursday. We have the magazine, Chicken Whisperer magazine, that's been out coming up four years now. And then we have, of course, the book, the upcoming book. And then we do Chicken Whisper tours twice a year around the country. I've been in 32 states spreading the chicken love and that type of thing. And then, of course, with the, through the USDA APHIS program, I'm their national spokesperson. I was going to ask so you about that. Do... What's that mean? Absolutely. So the USDA APHIS, they are all about biosecurity for your birds. Mm-hmm. And many years ago, I would say, hey, what does biosecurity mean for you? And a lot of people are like, I've never even heard of that word. Right. What do you mean with my chickens? Yeah, exactly. And then I've seen 
I've seen it progress. We're doing a good job getting that that term out there. Now, if I get on, say, my Facebook page, what does biosecurity mean to you? We still see some folks that are still trying to struggle with what it means. Oh, well, it, I, I do good biosecurity because I give organic feed or this, that, or the oh, other. Right. Uh-huh. And at the end of the day, it's really doing what you can to prevent infectious poultry diseases in your backyard mm-hmm. and giving really simple solutions. And the USDA knows I'm very upfront with this because I'm laid back and I'm just a simple guy. So when I go out and I'm teaching a class about biosecurity, I'll tell them, I'm like, here's some free handouts. Here's tons of information. Please read through it. But let's talk about how we can implement this in your backyard pretty easily. Because while the USA, USDA may say, we would recommend you do all of this. I'll give you an example here. Please. We would love for you to do all, we would love for you to do all these tips. And, and it's great. If you, if you want to uh, or think you can do all of the tips they suggest, more power to you. But I try to be a little bit more realistic. I personally think that it's unrealistic to expect a soccer mom in suburbia that has 12 pet chickens in her backyard to stop at a car wash and wash her tires and wheel wells of her vehicle every time she leaves the feed store. We may, you know, she may read about doing that, but let's face it, folks, I'm, I'm realistic. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> it's just probably not going to happen. Wow. But here's some things, here's some things that, that she could do very cost effectively uh-huh. Tell me. That, that'll go a long way. That'll go. So keeping a little uh, container outside of the run and coop of hand sanitizer and use it before you go into the coop and the run. And of course, after as well until you can go wash your hands, but you can give disease to your chickens as well. That's, that's a dollar at the dollar store. You do that. That's one step. The other most, probably most important step mm-hmm. is this, um, having one designated pair of boots in your backyard that you take care of your chicken. You, you, you keep those boots in your backyard. Yeah. You're not taking them to the feed store. Yep. You're not taking them on the coop tour. Yep. That's it. Those boots stay in your backyard because we don't want your bird's diseases. Right. And when I say that, people are like, what are you talking? They want to fight. What are you talking about? My birds are absolutely disease free. Uh-huh. And then I throw them a curveball. I'm like, when was the last time you had them tested for anything? And then right. their jaw drops. Uh, what so, do we test so, them yeah, for? You don't want to <laughs> right. So you don't want, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to take it out. You don't want to bring it in. Yeah. So, so those are some things that I like to do with, with USDA is saying, here's a lot of information. Now let's break it down to things that are kind of realistic, but, but the brand that I think was your original question, mm-hmm. again, that, that medium information overload where people can come and get science-based fact-based study-based yeah. information at the end of the day, through all these resources that we provide. Perfect. Well, and I want to go back to what you were saying a minute ago, because I was serious about my question. What would I test my chickens for? Oh, exactly. Absolutely. So, you know, it, it's, it's a loaded question versus hobby farm, commercial farm, mm-hmm. different things like that. Right. So one of the big ones, one of the big ones lately, for example, is, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is an accurate statement. There may be one or two years in there that it didn't happen. I'm pretty darn close. In the okay. last 15 years, in the last 15 years, and again, give or take a year or two, but I think I'm pretty accurate. In the last 15 years, there has been a salmonella outbreak directly related to backyard poultry slash uh, mail order hatcheries in America. And mm. last year happened to be the largest uh, salmonella outbreak in the history of the United States related to backyard poultry and wow. mail order hatcheries. So here, here's where it gets a little tricky. So people are like, how, how, how do I know? Should, should I test my chickens for, the, for salmonella? 
and it gets a little tricky. We've had tons of experts on the show to, to share their knowledge about this. And the issue there is, uh, for one, the, when you test for salmonella, it gets a little tricky because if you, well, number one, your, your backyard birds, your, your chickens may very well be carrying sal- salmonella, and, but they show no symptoms. They right. may be absolutely healthy looking and you just don't know it. The issue with the test is they don't shed it every single day. Mm. So let's say you test on a Wednesday and, hey, everything's fine. It came back negative. They may not be shedding it on Wednesday. And guess what? Come Monday, they're shedding it out. And so, so it's, so it, it can be very poop? difficult to do that. Uh, that, that is correct. The, 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 the salmonella outbreaks that we're having, I try to explain this to folks because immediately with their comments when we post about the outbreak, you can see how they're a little bit, uh, don't quite understand it. The, these outbreaks are, are primarily uh, the salmonella in, in the drop. Like you said earlier in the, in when we were talking, chicken poop. Where is, yeah. If you own chickens, where is chicken poop? Where is chicken poop if you own chickens? All of our listeners. Everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. It, it's, on, it's on their beak. It's on their feathers. It's on their feet. It's in the, you know, everywhere else in your backyard. Yep. So this, this comes basically from putting your hands in your mouth after right. you've touched something with chicken poop. And then, of course, you get the, the, the salmonella and that type of thing. Yeah. So uh, educating on that, you know, hey, you know, you need to be very careful to wash your hands very well after. Yeah. We, we recommend biosecurity before you handle them and go and take care of them, but after as well. That makes sense. Maybe having that desert pair of boots, different things like that. And, and just try to refrain. I, I know it's hard. I'm a real-life person here. I know it's hard. Baby chicks are cute and cuddly. I get that. And, and you really care for your pet chickens in your backyard. I totally get it. I'm on your side. I promote this for years. Uh-huh. But, you know, you just might want to think twice about you know, kissing your chickens. You know, maybe you want to do a little swab and Petri dish and, and send it off to see what's on your chicken's beak before you are kissing it. Mm. And you might, be, you might be surprised. So, <laughs> but you're just responsible uh, backyard poultry yeah. keeping. And Perfect. so I enjoy that and, and, and keeping it real, though, yeah. not over-exaggerating it, keeping it real and letting them yeah. know, say, here's some realistic things you can do to just at the end of the day, you're, you're, trying, you're protecting your flock. Yeah. Perfect. So, you know, before we skip on to the next section, I want to talk about your book a little bit. I mentioned it earlier. Sure. It's broken down in chapters. First one is Power to the Poultry, Growing Urban, the Growing Urban <laughs> Chicken Movement. Uh, what have you seen? Because you've been it, in it for just a little bit longer than I. I got my first chickens in 1999. And mm-hmm. back then, I was the only guy in Phoenix teaching people how to do chickens. Now there's dozens of people <laughs> in Phoenix teaching people how to do chickens. What, what has your experience been about the chicken backyard chicken movement over the past 25 years? Well, without, uh, well, I guess it's pretty obvious that it is growing. It is still growing. I mm-hmm. don't think today we're seeing the growth we had like we did back in maybe 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. uh, and it varies year to year. Well, I think the reason why, I think the reason why this movement keeps growing to be honest with you, is that uh, somebody in the neighborhood will um, jump right in and, and get chickens and get the nice coop and, and they'll get started. And their neighbor next door is keen on the idea. They like the idea and they're thinking, hmm, I'm not quite ready to do this, but I'll watch my neighbor for a year and then see if it's really all it's cracked up to be, no pun intended. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then 
after a year, guess what? Now the neighbor's getting it. So that, I think that, that continued growth is helping the folks that are sitting back and watching their neighbors, and then, and then they get the chickens, and then, of course, the same thing happens to their neighbor. So I, it's sure it's still growing without a doubt. And I tell folks, we know it's growing. We know there's a huge movement because there's more magazines, there's more books, there's more websites, there's more blogs. And I can assure you, all, all of your listeners, I can assure you, companies would not be spending tens of thousands of dollars developing chicken treats and chicken toys that people weren't actually buying. <laughs> buying them, exactly. <laughs> chicken treats and exactly. chicken toys, right. So, so we, know it's, we know it's still growing. Maybe not as explosive as it was 2010, 11, 9, but, um, yeah, but I know it is why then, though. every year, we feel. You know, that, and that's, you know, we're, we're in a great business for teaching people because when the economy is good, our business is good. But when the economy is bad, our business i know that my listenership exploded in 2009 2010 because people were really concerned about where their food was coming from exactly yeah i could see that that same thing happen back then you had a lot of folks oh, and, yeah. and and i'll you know when i'm doing my shows i'll tell people you know, i've been even uh, traveling a little bit uh, on the prepper circuit you know oh, yeah. uh, they've had uh, I've been up to oh, Cincinnati Ohio and spoke at a, a big prepper conference up there and, yep. and because they wanted to learn how to instead of just you know freeze-dried number 10 cans of uh, prep food they wanted to know how they could have some fresh chicken and eggs high protein and, yep. and how they could do it in their backyard yeah, precisely. absolutely precisely yeah we're seeing that more and more well cool mm -hmm. so I'm gonna shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Sure. I was thinking a little bit about that today. And looking back, uh, I guess, I mean, I've been very blessed with, with a lot of success. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of it came to just kind of falling in my lap, if you will, like the book, working hard to make the brand. And then because of that, you know, the phone call ringing, hey, would you like to do a book? Phone call rings, would you like to do a magazine and so on? And I think uh, right now, if, if there's a product, I would say that failed. And if I was to deem why it failed, I think it was, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a related product in history where this happened. It was, it was too early for the movement. It was too early for the, oh, yes. the technology. So yep. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think back in time of maybe a product, and I'm having a blank now, that, that was created back when, and it, and it failed just because people weren't ready for it yet. Yeah. And one product, and I'm trying to think what year it was. It was probably about seven years ago, and I was sitting in a restaurant with some friends of ours. We were just talking about all, just brainstorming all kinds of different things. And I told them, I said, you know, I think it would be really neat to do, I forgot exactly what it was, you know, different chicken whisperer items. Like we had T-shirts uh -huh. and, and all kinds of things. And I was thinking, you know, and then decks of cards and then just brainstorming. We thought, what about chicken trading cards? And, I, and, and so we started oh my to gosh. really started to write down all this information. And I said, this is going to be fabulous. There's no way this is going to fail, which is our topic <laughs> right now. And so we searched and we found a great company that would do this. And I went, say, to the, the big box stores and I looked at baseball cards and football cards and Pokemon cards and all these different collector cards to get a price line of what people were paying. Right. And because uh, we wanted to keep them comparative so that, oh, they're just ripping us off. So we got that. We found a great company and we, we got some sponsors to help offset the cost of, of the initial investment of getting everything done. So I think we ended up having 
in, in the first set, and we hadn't really determined if we were going to do this yearly, like the, the 2010 set, 2011 right. set, or quarterly. We weren't sure how it was going to take off. And so the first set had, I believe, 15. It came in a really nice, uh, clear, plastic little case, just uh-huh. like you would some fancy baseball cards. Right. 15 chicken 15 Chicken Whisperer collector cards. Three of the cards were, were basically ad cards. So I believe Ideal Poultry was one of them. I think USDA was one of them, APHIS, and I'm trying to think which the third uh, sponsor was. But anyway, so, so we had three sponsor cards in there. And then the other 12 cards on the front, uh, it had a nice picture of the breed. And on oh. the back, it had all this technical information about the breed itself uh-huh. from, yeah. from the American Poultry Association. I think it was $5, and that actually included shipping to your front door. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's what the cost of these were. That was it. We, we were all geared up. We were so excited. And it, and it was just like, okay, uh, we're going to sell more than three decks today? Or, you know, <laughs> so it just – if. if it's hard to call that a failure, but I mean, like I said, out of everything that I had brainstormed, chicken whisperer related, uh-huh. that pretty much just went nowhere. Nowhere. And and I oh, and, and right gosh. now I sometimes think I sometimes think about pulling those things out uh, and dusting them off because I still have who knows how many a few thousand of them, and thinking you know maybe now's the time to re-enter that and see what what happens. But it, you know you could think I was thinking 4H FFA. Yep people that were just crazy about chickens, all that, because it was very educational. I had the picture Mm -hmm. of a championship breed, according to the APA, American Poultry Association, on the back, technical information about the breed, and it just, again, it just kind of went nowhere. So out out of everything... Uh, and that, that was the shocker because all of us and everybody I talked to, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> and it just, it just went, it just went nowhere. And maybe it was before it's time because it was right there at the explosion of 2010, I believe it was. And maybe it just, maybe now it would explode like crazy, but hey, I, I want, know. I want a set. Will you send me a set? I, I can see it. I think they're in storage, but I think if when I get back to that corner of the uh, storage facility, yeah. um, I can send you a set. I, yeah. You know, and it was it. popular breeds. Yeah, but I'd yeah, it was. It. That, so it. that was probably one that just didn't yeah. go anywhere. What do you consider your biggest success? Wow, the biggest success. I'm not sure. My mom and dad have since passed. So if I was sitting in the living room with my mom. Chicken Whisperer related, of course. Of course, my family, I think, is my biggest success, my Mm -hmm. my kids and wife. But Chicken Whisperer related, obviously, you know, I don't know because I don't, you know, trust me, it's cool to walk in, say, to a feed store and Uh have a full-size, you know, a full-size cardboard silhouette of you standing there going, hey, you know, I mean, that's kind of cool. I I will will admit I'm a human being. That's kind of neat. You know, going down the list of things like, being in Time Magazine or having a mention in, in Time Magazine or the, or the Wall Street Journal cool. USA yeah. Today, that that's pretty cool. But I don't know if I would consider that a success. Mm. Maybe the, you know, again, I'm a human being. You know, um, that, that's cool. I think that's the cool. But success-wise, mm. maybe it is. That at the end of the day, the, the big success in, in the story is, which I, which everybody ha- in America has the opportunity to do, uh-huh. is taking that hobby that you just did for nothing because you enjoyed it so much and then actually kind of molding that along the way, fine tuning it into a business that you can live off of for 
nine years, educate people, share your knowledge. And, and, and yeah, that's initially, that's what all this was about is just yeah. sharing my experience yeah. with others. So they wouldn't, I've said that a million times. What do I do? I share my experience with others so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And that's when it was all about that. That's early. Like in our story was when it was about a person, the chicken whisperer right, versus exactly. now being more of a, more of a brand. brand. And, and, yeah. and, but we just kind of expanded it. It's still information. It's just more ways to get the information. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. What drives you? Wow. I'm very passionate about, and sometimes this can reflect negatively on the chicken whisperer. I'll give you an example of that. Very passionate about getting the right information into the hands of the people. Here's the important part that want it. I found over the years that some people just don't want it. And so, and then when you start sharing, you know, the science-based fat-based study-based information, with folks that you you come across, unfortunately, and, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. You see a post that says pumpkin seeds are an all-natural dewormer for chickens, right. and, and then you make a post, and I'm like, really? Do you you know trying to you know in social media you just you can't have feelings with a typewriter, you know, in a computer. And I just, I just dated myself typewriter, but you know, you just can't <laughs> yeah. see the, you can't see the, you can't see the emotion in that post. So, and so people actually come up to me after I'm actually speaking live in a workshop and saying, you know, I can see now how passionate you are about what you do. So I can totally see how online and, and your online presence, I can see how people think that, and, and here's where it comes into play. Uh, I'll try to post things. Nobody likes, I'm human too. Nobody likes to be called out. Nobody likes to say, you're wrong. That is bad information. That is wrong. Nobody likes that. I don't like that. It's, it's you know, the bottom line. We're human. Right. But online, it's very tricky to do that. So mm -hmm. just by posting, just by me posting some information that we'll say at the end of the day proves their theory wrong or, or suggests that they're wrong, all of a sudden, the chicken whisperer is, oh, well, he's arrogant. He's a mm -hmm. know-it-all. He's, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And then when people see me live, when I'm speaking at an event, I've had them many a times come up to me and say, you're nothing of the such. But, I can, but then they can see because I'm so passionate of wanting to get that right information out yeah. there. Um, there's only so many ways you can do it in social media. Yep. That sometimes you'll, you'll get labeled or they'll, they'll leave a bad taste in their mouth because, let's face it, we're human. We don't like to be told we're wrong or proven wrong. Yeah. And right off the bat, I've just gained an enemy, if you will, because I proved them. I'm just trying to educate. Yeah. And um, so some people don't want to the, the, the right information. And uh, they'll go to all stretches and corners of the earth to try to and do uh, weeks of research to try to find maybe one bit of information that says what they're doing is right. Just, I found it. I found it. You know, so it, it's very interesting how that works. But yeah. that, that's a challenge right there. That's a challenge. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Wow, I guess if it's, uh, if it's chicken-related, whether you're getting started or maybe you've ch kept chickens for a few years now, my biggest advice is, you know, basically research, research, research. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you one last example regarding what I mean by that. Please. And another example of how sometimes <laughs> the advice will, will – um, maybe turn somebody off or they just won't get what I'm trying to do, which is educate. And, and I'll give you an example of that research, research, research. If, and, and I know this is not a hundred percent, but in a lot of cases that I see online at the end of the day, if you lose a chicken to a predator and are frustrated because of that and are upset because of that, and you want to know who to blame because of that, 
look in the mirror. Yep, there's only Those one chickens person. Can, yep. That's one person. And, and, and at the end of the day, regardless if you like it or not, because I have brainstormed this till I'm blue in the face, yeah. at the end of the day, there's only, uh, there's only two reasons why you lost a predator. One, you didn't do the research and how to prevent it. And two, unfortunately, this is true. And two, you didn't spend the necessary money to have a predator-proof coop and run. And yeah. let's face it, it costs some serious money to really have a good predator-proof coop and run. It does. And, and I want people to... And and so it and so that's again how oh you 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 know so so again sometimes that reflects ne- negative negatively on myself right oh he's a know it all or whatever er, no, or he's so. arrogant but, yeah I don't think so but at so. the end of the day it's like we can argue this all day long it's 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 your you know and again I'm not talking about a grizzly bear I'm talking about the numerous. Um, predator attacks I see on these blogs and forums of oh, another raccoon got my favorite hen. Well, uh, well, at that point, yeah, <laughs> I hear you at that point. Absolutely. Well, we did interestingly. Yeah. So we live right in basically central Phoenix and mm-hmm. about a year and three months ago, we actually lost 10 hens to a predator. Now I've been keeping chickens mm-hmm. since 1999 and for the first 12 years that I kept chickens here at the urban farm, they didn't even have an enclosed coop. That's how, <laughs> right. That's yep. how little of a predator problem we've ever had here. So when our mm-hmm. chickens got taken out by, in this case, a bobcat in the middle of Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's like, wake up, Greg. So we, you know, we embarked on putting in a predator proof, 800 square foot chicken coop here at the urban farm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing that cracks me up, is what you just said. Well, another Bob or another raccoon got my, another one of my chickens. It's like, whoa, hold on here, time out. Now you know they're coming. Do something about it, right? Right. Yeah. And exactly. my, my my biggest what what I see happening is the the chicken owner, they for for whatever reason they're focused in the wrong direction. They focus on the predator. For example, this raccoon. Can I trap it? Is it legal to trap it? Can right. someone come trap it for me? Yeah, Can I exactly. shoot it? If I shoot it, what do I do with it? All this information. And then, and then, you know, you're like, well, if you get rid of that raccoon, however you do it, there's another 300 there's another in one. the woods. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, so find out who cares about the raccoon if you that predator-proof coop and mm-hmm. run. And we're talking about a raccoon. I, I get grizzly bears can rip the door off of a one-ton truck. I get it. But a raccoon, really? Yeah. So, you know, you, you, can, you can make your coop and run raccoon-proof. Let's concentrate on that instead of the raccoon. Then if you do that, then I don't care if there's 900 raccoons out there. They still can't access your run and coop. And yeah. if you go back, let's think about why this happened. You either didn't research enough on how to do this, or you just weren't willing to spend the money on how to do that. Yeah, I'm going to add you didn't know, because we had no idea that there were bobcats in our neighborhood. Right, right. I, I mean, they had to travel three miles from the nearest desert in order to find our chicken coop. So, you know, there is that piece of not knowing, but once you know, you got to do something about it. You got to fix it. I know we're toward the end of our of our talk today, but we brought this up sure. a lot. And I think in here you have a chapter on predator-proof coops. Do you not? We do have a really great 
chapter on predators. It even talks about and has pictures of different prints that you might see around mm, the coop and nice. what that may identify as different predators yep. and, and what you can do to predator-proof your coop. And let's face it, everybody loves chicken, and predators have nothing but time on their hands to figure out how to get to your chickens. Um, so, so it is probably the, the, the when, when I'm asked a lot of times, what would you share the most important thing? Obviously, number one is research anything and everything that you can. Yep. And, and, of course, number two, maybe our biggest responsibility as backyard chicken keepers is, number one, uh, predator-proof. And that, that kind of goes with coops, too. People think – when they think coops, they're thinking – they want something that looks pretty or matches their house or whatever the case may be. The top two, when folks uh, who are listening, when you get into this, maybe you're reinventing this or you get looking for a new coop, the top two, bar none. Number one, how predator-proof is that coop? Yep. Number two, very important, how easy is that coop going to be to clean? Because oh, if it is yes. not easy to if it's not easy to clean, you're yep. not going to clean it as often as you should, and that's just not fair to your chickens. Yeah. Amen to that. That's top two. Amen to that. And a lot of people don't think about that. They think pretty coops or functional or whatever, but they don't think maybe predator-proof and especially easy to clean. So I always add that to the top of the list. Yeah. So you can find more about all of this in in, uh, Andy's book, The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for joining us on the show today, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. I've had a great time. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? It's very, very easy. Chickenwhisperer.com will get them to where they can purchase the book, sign up for the magazine uh, subscription, see where I'm touring, the podcast, everything. Very simple, chickenwhisperer.com. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash chickenwhisperer. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something that everybody wants. Delicious and nutritious and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own healthy food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free 
to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.